Father, uh, you give us some pretty frightful news here today in this chapter that we're in the last hour and that the Antichrist is coming and uh, even if he's not coming soon, many Antichrists are already here, Lord. And so uh, what do we do? Lord, you're going to show us that, that, we, that we don't need to fear anything or anyone because of what you've given us if we're born again believers. You have given us uh, an anointing, Lord, an anointing that uh, is, 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 represents your Holy Spirit in us, your power in us. And so, Lord, your perfect love cast out all fear. And you're going to show us that uh, in this chapter today. And, and uh, Lord, I just, helped it. I just ask that you help us to, to see the truths you would teach us. Lord, if there's anyone here who, who is hearing this word today, and, and Lord, to them it just seems uh, like, like someone's opinion or, or uh, the writings of human beings, Lord, I ask today that you anoint their ears by the power of your Holy Spirit to hear your word uh, in a way that believers hear your word, in a way that we know that your word is true and that your word is, is powerful and that your word changes our lives, Lord. And I, I just ask for everyone in this room, whether they're born-again believers or not today, Lord, that, that they hear your word clearly and that they uh, see the benefits that we have in in knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. We just thank you that he is our Savior. We thank you for all he does for us. And Lord, help us to bless you. Help us to be live our lives uh, the way you uh, instruct us to live according to your word so that, Lord, we don't just receive blessings. We bless others and we bless you. Lord, we just ask for you to teach us these uh, lessons today. Uh, by the, your grace and by your word and by your power, we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, again, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 John, and we'll be picking up down in verse number uh, 18 today. Verse number 18. When I was a little boy, uh, that was a long time ago, by the way, when I was a little boy at holidays, we would go visit relatives and one of the relatives that we would go visit were, were my uh, uh, aunt and uncle and cousins in Houston. And there would usually be several families get together for that gathering and we would have all sorts of fun. Well, I remember one particular night. In fact, I'll never forget what happened that night. Uh, we were, all the kids were playing in the den and we were having a good old time. We were playing these games and having a good time. And then we heard a tap on the window and we looked up at the window, and there was this big, hairy face pressed against the window. It had a green background and hair all over it. And I mean, it was a scary sight. And so we all screamed and ran into the kitchen. I almost broke my tie. And we ran into the kitchen, and we were all looking at each other. What was it? Did y'all see that? Oh, yeah, that was something else. And, and then we heard the tap on the kitchen window. And we saw the face again in the window. We all screamed and we ran to the living room where our parents were. We said, look, we saw something that looks like a big, bad werewolf. And, and uh, they said, oh, there's no such thing as werewolf. You're always just seeing things. And they were in on the gag. So, so they, were, they were pulling our leg too. Well, finally, my uncle walks in and he's wearing this mask that his oldest son had made for Halloween. And he had made it out of construction paper and hair he had gotten from 
a barbershop. And I got to tell you, it really looked like a whirlwolf. And we were, we were scared. And, but after he put, took the mask off, I mean, we realized uh, just how silly we were to be afraid of something that, that really couldn't harm us. Well, in today's lesson, John is going to talk about the biggest, baddest wolf of all. He's going to talk about the Antichrist. He's going to tell us that the hour is short and that the Antichrist might very well be here. He thought that in his day. But he's going to say, well, if that doesn't scare you, let me tell you what else. Even if the Antichrist isn't coming, there are already many Antichrists in this world. And all of us know that there are antichrists in the world. We're going to talk about what an antichrist is here in just a minute. But this world, just about the whole world right now, is antichrist. But John's also going to tell us that we have nothing to fear. We don't have to fear the antichrist. We don't have to fear the antichrist. Because we have the ultimate weapon against antichrist. And that is the anointing of God. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, beginning down in verse number 18. So pick up with me there in verse number 18 of uh, 1 John chapter number 2. All right, he says there in verse number 18, he says, Little children, it is the last hour. Now that's kind of funny coming from John because was it the last hour? I mean, were they living in the last hour? Very last days before Jesus Christ returned? No, but they could have been living in the very last days before Jesus Christ returned. And so he says, little children. He says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Now, there were a lot of rumblings in their day, just like there's rumblings in the day in, in, in our day today, in fact, I heard Obama say a while back, he says, some people are calling me the Antichrist. And there are some people that are calling him the Antichrist. He's obviously not the Antichrist. Trump might be the Antichrist. He'll be the next one on the list. But, but there were rumblings in that day that Caesar was the Antichrist. You know, it's really interesting to read church history and read the writings of the various churches during every age, they were trying to figure out who the Antichrist was. For a lot of people, uh, uh, it was the, in, in the early church, it was Caesar was the Antichrist. In fact, those who uh, take the preterist view of eschatology, they believe that Caesar was the Antichrist. And I'm not going to get into that today. We'll talk about that when we get into Revelation. But Caesar was not the Antichrist. But then it was the Pope. For years and years and years, Everyone thought the Pope was the Antichrist. And, and even now people say that this Pope is the last Pope and he's the Antichrist. So there's always these rumblings, rumblings that, that uh, little children, you know, it's the last hour and you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Now John obviously knew about the Antichrist because this book was written after he had had his vision on Patmos. And so he knew all about the Antichrist. And, 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 this, and he's called elsewhere in Scripture the man of sin, the man of perdition, the lawless one, the beast who came out of the sea. There's all sorts of names for the Antichrist. But John was well versed on who the Antichrist was. And so he's talking to this group of people who were fearing that maybe Caesar was the Antichrist. And he says, look, little children, 
And he uses a term there, little children is different from verse, in verse 13 when he says, I write to you little children. In, in, in that verse, that's a different word for that, those, uh, for that phrase, little children. It's a word that means born ones. We, we talked about that when we covered that text. In other words, those who are born again. So in verse 13, he's talking about those who are born again. But in verse number 18, when he says little children, that's a different Greek word. And it means children, literally children, those who are immature in the faith, those who are prone to be scared. Just like when I was a child and we were in Houston at my uncle's house and he scared us with that mask, we were, we were at the age where we were prone to be afraid. And so he knew that they were prone to be afraid. He says, look, little children, I know you've heard that it, you know it's the last hour. In other words, the Lord could come at any time and he could have come at any time. When we talk about the last hour in Scripture, John uses the last hour the same way Paul used the last days. When, when are the last days? When, when, when you hear these, these uh, prophecy freaks talk about the last days, they'll tell you that, man, we're in the last days. Well, John lived in the last days. We, we all, everybody who's lived since Pentecost and who will be living when Christ, until Christ comes at his second coming, are living in the last days. Those are the last days, from Pentecost to the time Jesus returns. And so he says, look, yeah, we're living in the last days, and you've heard Antichrist is coming. Well, he might not come, but even now many Antichrists have already come. So, yeah, you don't, might not have to worry about the Antichrist, but there certainly are antichrists out there, and there will always be antichrists because that marks the age in which we live. Look at what he says in the last part of the verse. By which we know that it is the last hour. How do you know you're living in the last days? Look for people who are antichrists. Are there antichrists in this world today? There certainly are. That's a mark that you're living in the last days. Not maybe the very last days, or the latter days as the Bible speaks of. And, and I do think we're in the latter days. John was living in the last days, but not the latter days. But in his day, they were expecting the Antichrist to come. And even then, there were Antichrists that they had to deal with. And there are Antichrists that you and I have to deal with. Well, first of all, what's an Antichrist? That's what we want to look at for just a minute. It's a pretty easy Greek word to figure out is antichristos, antichrist. Christos is what? Christ. Pretty easy to figure out, right? Anti, what's the word anti mean? Against. But also means in the Greek instead of. So there are two types of antichrist, and sometimes they're the same type. They're against Christ or they're Instead of Christ, they're fake Christ. They pretend to be Christ when they really aren't Christ. There's anti-Christians. There's people who pretend to be Christians who aren't really Christians. And false teachers fall into this category of anti-Christ because they claim to be Christians, but they're really against Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. He says, you are either against me or you are for me. Listen, you are either a Christian or you are an anti-Christ. And you can call yourself a Christian and still be an anti-Christ. You can be a fake Christian. You can be someone who proclaims to be a Christian, but you're not really born again. 
You know, that shouldn't cause anybody a problem. Anywhere, anybody in this world or anybody in this room. Because you know if you're born again. Now, I'm not condemning you by any means if you're not born again. You're here today. Because there was a time when I wasn't born again. There was a time when everybody in this room wasn't born again. But when you aren't born again, you are an anti-Christ. Because Jesus said you are either for me or you are either anti-me. You are either against me. You're either for me or you're against me. And so you have these anti-Christ who come on the scene and they pretend to be Christ and they say that they're Christ. And they don't necessarily, they might not even say they're Christ, but they put themselves in the position of Christ. You know, I believe to some degree the government of the United States has put itself in the position of Christ. In other words, people look to, Christ, to the government as their Savior, and the government presents itself as our Savior, and that makes them anti-Christ, especially if they're against Christ. And so if we have a government that's against Christ, and most of the governments of this world are against Christ, they are, their leaders are anti-Christ. And so there are a lot of anti-Christ in this world. Now, here's the ones that John wants to look at now as we go advance in this text. He wants to look at those anti-Christ who are false Christians, who are pretenders, are, and especially those who are false teachers. Those who wear a mask and they say that they're a Christian, but if you pull off that mask, there's a big bad wolf lurking there. And uh, he's going to tell us how they ended up that way. Because they, they came to church, they, and, and in John's day they would come, they would, they would be part of the, the, the Christian church there in, in uh, uh, Ephesus or Jerusalem or wherever he was at the particular time. And they would come and they would be part of that church and they would infiltrate the church. And then they would break off and come up with some new teaching. And they would come up with their own little group. That happens all the time. You see church splits all the time. I don't know if you've been watching the news, but there's a church split right now going on in Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapels have split into two groups uh, over some issues I'm not going to get into today, but I'm just making you aware of that. Uh, then from Calvary Chapel, there will be people that will spin off of Calvary Chapel who will split off into their own group, and it will be a heretical group. And they will become, it will, they will call themselves Christians, and they will, they will proclaim to be teaching the same thing we're teaching, the Word of God, but they will twist it and turn it and try to bring people into their fold. And, and, and then you split off from there, and you end up in a cult. And so that you have all of these splits and, and these people coming up with their own visions and own ideas about what uh, Christianity is all about, and they base it on something other than this word, and it end, they end up as false teachers and false Christians. And so they become antichrist. Now back to the Calvary Chapel thing right now, we're in both groups. So we, I, I, I guess if they have two conventions, we'll have two conventions. I don't know how we'll end up with this thing. I've got to study it a lot more and figure out which one's right. But I'm going to tell you right now, whatever happens at Calvary Chapel doesn't really matter that much to me. Because we're going to, this, whatever we call ourselves, it can be David Chapel, and it won't be that. <laughs> but whatever we call ourselves, Chap Chapel. I like that. <laughs> it's got a ring to it. 
whatever we call ourselves, we're going to stay true to the word of God here at, at this church right here. We're going to teach the word and stay true to the word. If you don't like the word, then you'll want to split off with those who are into things other than the word. But how did they, how did they end up that way? Well, he tells us in verse number 19. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. They never were of us. That's why they went out for a, from us. They never believed in this word from Genesis to to revelation. They never really had a relationship with Christ. They never really knew Christ because they were not of us. They were not born again. But if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. If they had been, look, we're not a cult here. A lot of people think we're a cult. But we're a group of born-again believers who believe this word from Genesis to Revelation all the way through. We believe every word of this is the word of God. And I'm going to show you how we believe, why we believe that in just a few minutes. But, but, but they don't believe that. You, there, there are churches all over this city today. Now, there's some Bible-believing churches. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're the only ones. But there are churches all over the city that don't believe this word from Genesis to Revelation. And they teach things outside the boundaries of this word. And the reason they, they haven't continued in the word is because they are not of us. If they were of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out from us that it might be manifest that none of them were of us. They left us because none of them were of us. They didn't agree with the word. They didn't believe the Genesis account. They didn't believe the, 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 that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They didn't believe that the, this is the word of God uh, from cover to cover. And so they went out from us. So when John says they went out, he's talking about the Antichrist went out from us. They, they claim to be Christians, but they're false Christians and they, they're false teachers. Now, let me ask you a question. When they went out from us, did they lose their salvation? Did they lose their salvation when they went out from us? No. They, they, were, they went out from us because they were not of us. That means they never had their salvation. If they were, then were saved and had salvation, true salvation, they would have stayed with us. The reason they went out from us is because they never were of us. They never were born again. That's true for anybody who claims to be a Christian and then one day they walk away from the faith and, 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 and uh, they say, people say, well, they, they lost their salvation. That's not true. If they, the reason they went out from us is because they were never of us. If they were of us, they would have continued with us. Maybe not here at this building, but they would have continued in the faith. The reason people walk away from the faith isn't that they lose their salvation. The reason that people walk away from the faith is that they've never been born again. Listen, you can walk down an aisle a million times and that won't save you. You can raise your hand and say the sinner prayer a million times and that will not save you. You can go to church for the, forever and that will not save you. What saves you is Jesus says you must be born again. And if you're born again, then you're of us. You're of us and you'll never go out from, from us. 
because you've been given eternal life. We'll see that here in just a minute. But it's kind of scary. You know, John's saying, look, this is kind of scary because the Antichrist is coming, and already there are Antichrists all around us. Even in the church, there are Antichrists. There are going to be people that are in this church that are going to leave this church because they are not of us. And, man, that sounds like maybe they can mess with us. Maybe they can mess with our faith. Maybe they can mess with what I believe. No, if you're born again, they can't mess with what you believe. Because look at verse number 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. You know what you guys are? You're a bunch of know-it-alls. That's what you all are. You know everything. You think you know everything. I don't even know why I'm up here. You're all a bunch of know-it-alls. Well, good. I'm glad you're a know-it-all. You have an anointing. Let me tell you what. If somebody came up to my window tonight and they stuck their hairy face to my window, I wouldn't run and scream. I wouldn't be that afraid of them. Because in my nightstand drawer (laughs) is my Gluck of death. That's what I call my Glock pistol. It's the Gluck of death. And I would take my gluck of death out, and I would fire it about six inches over their head. And I'm not a very good shot, so it might get them. I don't think they want to take that chance. You don't want to come to my house wearing a hairy mask. And if they didn't run after that, I ain't going to tell you what I'd do. You can guess. But I'm not afraid of them. Well, let me tell you something. You've got something much more powerful than a Glock pistol in you. You've got, look at what he says, you've got the anointing, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. Who's the Holy One? Jesus Christ, Jehovah God. And you're a know-it-all. You know all things. You get that? You've got an, an anointing. You know, the anointing is not, the anointing doesn't, the the word anointing just doesn't say what needs to be said here. You know what the Greek word is? Charisma. 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 Christos, Christ. You've got the charisma. That says it a lot better because it sounds a lot like Christ, doesn't it? It should sound a lot like Christ because that's what your anointing is. Your anointing is the spirit of Jesus Christ living in you. You have the charisma, and the charisma will never leave you or forsake you. I don't care where you're at. I don't care how long you're saved. If you're truly born again, the charisma is always with you. Christ is always with you. And greater he is who is in you than he who is in this world. You have nothing to fear. It's Christ in you, your hope of glory. If you're born again, if you're not born again, you don't have the charisma. You've got a lot to fear. But I don't fear anything. I shouldn't fear anything because perfect love casts out fear. John's going to tell us a little later, not today, but later in this, in this, in this uh, book. And, and that perfect love is in the form of Jesus Christ who lives in us. The charisma lives in us. He lives in us. And we have nothing to fear. And since you have the charisma... You have this anointing, false Christ and false teachers can't fool you because you know it all. You're a big 
know-it-all. All of you are big know-it-alls. You know it all. You recognize in your heart when you hear error. You recognize in your heart when you hear truth. And, 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 and so I don't have to convince you that this Bible is true. We don't operate that way here. I don't get up here and do apologetics on the Bible. Why would I do that? I would be wasting my time. Now, there's some of you here that don't have the charisma. You don't have the anointing. You have not been born again. Again, I'm not condemning you. I'm not putting you down. What I'd encourage you to do is to give your life to Jesus Christ and get the charisma. Because once you get the charisma, you know all things. And, and you can sit here, I could sit here and get this word out, and I could argue with you why I believe in this word intellectually, and you could, I think you can prove the Bible is true intellectually too. But, but, but I would probably never convince you that these 66 men that wrote this word of God were anointed by God and they wrote it under inspiration of the Spirit. You know where you learn that? You learn that. As a gift, when you receive the Holy Spirit, the charisma, you know that this is the Word of God. How many of you believe that this is the word, actual Word of God? How, when did you come to believe that? You came to believe that when you got saved. See, I don't have to convince you that God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. You know God created the heavens and the earth in seven days because you have the charisma. I don't have to... I don't have to to, to convict you of that. You know that. There's all sorts of things that, that, that you know about this word that are true. You know, I mean, when, when you look at the various miracles in the Bible, you know that they really happen. I can't prove that they happen. I can't sit down here today and prove to you that Jonah was swallowed by a well. Nobody can prove And people try to say, well, there's fish big enough, and they found this man one time who had lived in a well. You don't need any of those proofs. If God said he was swallowed by a well and you have God in you, you don't need to be proved that you don't need that proof. I can't explain to you the virgin birth. Who, can, who in here can explain the virgin birth? I'll let you have the pulpit right now. You can't explain the virgin birth. How many of you believe in the virgin birth? Do you believe in the virgin birth because you're an idiot? No. Do you believe in the virgin birth because you've been fooled? No. Do you believe in the virgin birth because you figured it out? No. You believe in the virgin birth because you have the charisma. Jesus is God. He is God Almighty. He is Jehovah. Do I have to prove that to you? If Christ is in me, will he deny himself? Will he deny who he is? So when I hear people, things coming out of their mouth like Christ is a God, I know right away I'm dealing with an, an antichrist. I know right away I'm dealing with an un, a, 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 someone who's not been born again because they don't have the charisma. And if you don't understand these things, again, I am not trying to, to put you down because there, every single person in this room didn't understand these things before they were born again. But, but it should encourage you to want to find the Lord and know the Lord and and have what God has given us. Have the anointing so that you know all things. If you don't care about knowing all things about Christ, hey, fine. Live your life, suck this world like an orange, and then go to Hades with the rest of the world, because that's where you're heading. It's not a good place. It's not a good place. It's, it's not a good place for your children. 
It's not a good place for, for your grandchildren. You understand what you're doing? It's not just yourself that you're destroying forever. You're destroying everyone around you forever. Everyone that you could possibly change for the good, they're being destroyed if you don't give your life to Christ. So, John says in verse 21, he says, I've not written to you these things that I've written in 1 John and Revelation and 2 John and 3 John and the Gospel of John. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth. You already know the truth. But because you know it, we can talk about it. And there is no lie. And, and that no lie is of the truth. The truth and lies do not go together at all. They don't go together at all. All of us know that. We, try, we lie to ourselves all the time, don't we? But we don't fool ourselves. We know we're lying to ourselves. You know what? That's why I say, I, I say to anyone, your character, your character is your integrity. You, you, any, any, lie, any lying you do just pollutes your character. He says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because, but, but because you know it and that no lie is in you or no lie is of the truth. You know, I stand up here every week and I try to interpret this word. I try to encourage you with the word. I try to, to fan your flame of passion for Jesus Christ. That's my goal. But here's how I operate. I don't operate on the premise that you don't know the word of God. I operate on the premise that you have an anointing, that you have an unction, that you have the charisma, that you have Christ in you, and that you know that this word is true. I don't sit around trying to prove that this is true. That's why when I'm proving something, what I use to prove it is the word of God. And that's why I challenge anyone, anything I say up here in this pulpit, you know, unless I say something about Nathan or something or chap, I mean, anything I say up here in this pulpit that, that, that is about this word, I use the word to prove it. And, that's, and the reason I use the word to prove it because you know that the word is truth. And so if I can show you what the word says about the word, then I'm using truth to prove truth. See, see why you do it that way? And that's the way we teach here at Calvary Chapel. And if I get up here and I lie, then you know that I'm lying because you have an unction. You know, I remember, I remember when I first got saved hearing all of these great truths. I remember, I remember the first time when Jesus said in chapter 8, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And I got chills down my spine when I heard that. And I, I had never heard that in a church before. I, I, I saw it there in the Word. I might have heard it with my ears, but I didn't have the unction before then. And all of a sudden, Jesus is talking about his existence before Abraham, that he says, before Abraham was, I am, I am Jehovah God. And man, that ran chills down my spine. And I knew that that was true. And I knew that all this I'd heard before about Jesus being some kind of lesser God, less than, than the Father and somehow almost a created God, I knew that that wasn't true anymore because I knew that this word was true and that this word proves the word. Then look at the next few verses there. He says, 
in 22 and 23, he says, who is a liar? Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is Christ? Now, this is the biggest lie of all. You know, there's people that go against the word of God, but this is the biggest lie of all. And this is the one John hits at. He said, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And he is, he is antichrist who denies the father's relationship with the son, the father and the son together. He who, who denies that relationship is anti-Christ. That's what he's saying. Whoever denies the son does not have the father because the father and the son are one. If you don't have the, if you don't have the son, you don't have the father. If you don't have the charisma, you're not saved. I don't care who you pray to, you're not saved. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. He who acknowledges the Son, if you love the Son and know the Son and you pray to the Son, you know the Father and you're praying to the Father. Has the Father also. You know, the surest test of whether or not you're saved or whether or not you're an antichrist is what you believe about Jesus and his relationship to the Father. Now, if you have the charisma, Christ in you, your hope of glory. If Christ is in you, is Christ going to deny the truth about himself? No. And he's in you. He's your teacher. He's the one who tells you, I and the Father are one. And you understand that. And if you, if you say otherwise, then you're a liar. You deny Christ, Jesus as the Christ and you deny his relationship with the Father and you are a liar you know i'm sure there's people in this room who are in the same situation i was in before i truly got born again and that situation was i i believed in jesus i believed in a historical jesus i believe in a jesus that died on the cross uh, on august the 22nd 1989 i believed in jesus and i believed he died on a cross i believe he was a great historical man who God sacrificed on a cross for sins. But I never was saved because that won't save you. You believe in the wrong thing. You got to believe who Jesus is. And the only way you can believe who Jesus is, is to get saved. So it kind of goes together. And when you get saved on August the 23rd, 1989, when I was saved, I knew who Jesus was. I knew that he is God Almighty, that he's Jehovah God in the flesh, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. I knew that. All of that made sense to me. And then I understood. I didn't understand it, but I knew it. I knew that the blood that came down from that cross was not just any man's blood. It was the very blood of God. It was the blood of God that saved me. The infinite blood of God, and there was power in that blood, power to save me, power to regenerate me, power to... To, to glorify me, power to give me eternal life. And I understood all of that. I didn't understand all of that before I was saved because I did not have the anointing. But God gave me the anointing out there in the desert. He gave me the anointing. And if you're born again, he gave you the charisma, Christ in you, your hope of glory. And you understand those things. And you can't deny who Christ is. I mean, I could, somebody could put me on a torture rack and they could say, who is Christ? I say whoever you want him to be, because I don't want to die. But deep down in my soul, I wouldn't, I, hopefully I could last longer than that. <laughs> but deep down in my soul, you could never get it out that he's God Almighty, because he's in there. 
and he testifies that he's God Almighty. Therefore, verse 24, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. What did you hear from the beginning? You heard the Logos. The Logos. You know how, see how John's tying this to, to his gospel, where in the gospel he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who was he speaking about? He's speaking about Jesus, the Logos, the Logos, the Christmas who's in you. He says, let the Christmas abide in you, the Logos, Almighty God in you. Therefore, let, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, the Logos, the Word, the Christmas, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Because if the Son abides in you, the Father abides in you. There's not two gods abiding in you. There's not the Holy Spirit, three spirits abiding in you. There is one Spirit. It is the Spirit of Christ. It's the Spirit of the Father. It's the Spirit of Almighty God. That's who abides in you if you're born again. And he says, let that abide in you. Let that grow in you. Let that be the part of you that you, you, you talk to and walk with and, and listen to. And if you do that, if Christ truly abides in you, this is the promise that he promised us, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. Not just existence, eternal life, abundant life. A good life. If your life is in shambles right now, let me tell you what's wrong. Christ is not abiding in you or you're, or you're either quenching the Spirit to the point you don't know He's abiding in you. Nurture the Spirit. He wants you to have life. He wants you to have life abundantly. He's promised that to you if you will let Him abide in you. Go back to the Gospel of John and listen to what Jesus says about this. Remember in John chapter 10, John chapter 10. Think of all these wolves out there, these antichrists. He want to steer you away from the Lord. Why, why would the Lord be so concerned about that and John be so concerned about that? Because you're sheep. We're sheep. And sheep are stupid. Now, I'm not calling y'all stupid. But they do some really dumb things and they're prone to wonder and stray away from the Lord. And listen to what Jesus says. Listen to his heart, his, his, his love for you. In chapter 10, verse 27, he says, My sheep. My little children, my anointed ones, the ones with the chrisma, my sheep, he says in verse number 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Why do they hear my voice? Because they have the anointing. They have the chrisma. He is with them. He's with us. And verse 28, and I give them, I give them, listen to me, eternal life. That's the same thing John said. And this is the promise that we, he has promised us. And this is what he gives us, that we have eternal life. 
I give them eternal life if they'll be good sheep. Does it say that? I give them good I give them eternal life if they don't leave the church and go gamble. Does it say that? I'm not encouraging you guys to go gamble. No, I give them eternal life. Jesus what didn't say those words lightly. If you're one of his sheep, I got news for you. He's given you eternal life. Eternal means what? Eternal. Forever. It means it's been given to you forever. Is he going to take it back? Under no circumstances will he take it back if you're a sheep. You're not a sheep. You're a goat. So he sees you as a goat. And I'm like, again, I was a goat. All of you were goats. Then he made us into sheep. And we hear his voice. We hear the logos. We hear the charisma. He says, and I, he says, and I give them eternal life. Man, you talk about a deal. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone, anyone. What's anyone mean in the Greek? Anyone. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand forever. They will never. If you're in the hand of God, who can take you out of God's hand? Who's bigger than God? Is the Antichrist bigger than God? Is the devil bigger than God? Are you bigger than God? No. If God has placed you in his hand, you're there forever. Relax. Relax. My father who is, verse number 29, let me read the first rest of verse 28. He says, and this is the promise. No, verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. What's all mean in the Greek? All. All means that no one, not the Antichrist, not the devil, not even yourself, is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And oh, by the way, Jesus says, oh, by the way, I and the Father are one. Whoa, dude, that's pretty bold talk for God. I and the Father are one. Now you get into these people that want to deny the deity of Jesus Christ and they will tell you that the word one means unity. And I don't know where in the world, you know, when you, when, when you start dealing with somebody like that, I shut my Bible and say, look, we can't talk. Because I can say a dog means a rocket. You know, and you can't talk to somebody like that. One, I got news for you, in the Greek means what? One. One mile is used for one mile. It's used for one tittle. It's used for one cubit. It's used for one servant. It means one in number and one in the same. I and the Father are one. We're the same God. We're one. And the only way you know that Jesus and the Father are the same God is if you have the charisma, if you have Christ in you, if you have the one true God living in you. Yes, he's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but he is one God. Hero Israel, the Lord God is one God. One God. One means one. 
And if you're saved, you know that. And if you're not saved, you don't know that. And when people come up to me spouting that and want to argue against that, you know what? I just realize I'm arguing with somebody that's not saved, and I don't argue. I say, well, you know, you can believe what you believe. I'm going to believe what I believe, and we'll see what happens. Because that's not something... You start talking on things like theological things like the deity of Jesus Christ. There's no, or the virgin birth. You want to argue those things. I can't argue those things with you. Those are things that are given to us by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 28, he says, and I'll, uh, real quickly, he says, verse 28 and 29, and I, where am I at? 30. I don't want, well, let me go back to first. Go, let's go back to first John so I can find my place here. We don't, we d- did first 30. But I was in 27 and I chased a rabbit and got myself in trouble. Here's what I want to look at as we finish up. But the, uh, back to 27. But the anointing, the charisma, which you have received from you, abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. You do not need anyone to teach you. Why don't you need me to teach you these things? Because you have an anointing. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be students of the word under the guidance of teachers. That's not what he's saying there at all. And really, maybe a better way to... to interpret that in a way that it makes sense is that I don't you don't need me to convince you of what I'm saying I mean when I'm interpreting this word really this should be a worship service this should be something maybe you've seen something you haven't seen before but but in reality you know in your heart all of these things already and so what we're doing when we're bringing these things out into the open when we're exegeting this text We're worshiping God and we're thanking God for what he's done for us. We already know this. Everything I've said here today, you already know. And if you don't know it, you're not saved and we want to get you saved. So we want you to give your life to the Lord. Because the same anointing that's in me, the charisma, is in you. In most of you. And so I don't have to convince you of what I'm saying. So who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Not me. Because I have the charisma in me. And it's more, it's more powerful than anything else in this universe. It is Christ in me. It's the power of God in me. And that's why the Bible says in Isaiah 50. 417, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. No weapon, no antichrist, no devil, no demon. No one should scare us because Christ is in me and if he he is in me, who can be against me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word and the great encouragement we have here and We thank you for the charisma. We thank you for Christ in us, our hope of glory. We thank you for the anointing that we have. Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, I ask that you touch their heart in a special way. And Maybe they didn't understand what we were talking about today, but 
Lord, and maybe they don't believe that this is the word. Lord, the only way they can is if by the power of your Holy Spirit, you come upon them and show them that what has been spoken here today and what is spoken in your word is truth. And I just ask that you touch any lost heart here today and that today be the day of their salvation where they simply come to you and ask you into their hearts. And, and Lord, you oblige. I just thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.